Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game. Headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is the Pulitzer Prize winning author who spent four years as UN ambassador and is currently the administrator of USAID. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Samantha Power. <laughs> nice to see you again. Nice digs. Yeah, it is nice, nice digs, isn't it? No, you actually have... Have you physically been here since COVID, or is it, was it only over Zoom for a long Zoom, time? Zoom, We nice, Zoomed. <laughs> we did. Nice to see you again, and welcome back to the friendly confines. Amazing. Uh, last summer, I guess, over Zoom, you and I discussed uh, President Biden's pledge to send COVID vaccines uh, around the world, and USAID, of course, is part of the administration and distribution of that. Um, what do you make of President Biden saying that the pandemic is over? Do you think he got that right? Because there's been some backpedaling at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And go ahead and throw your boss under the bus right now. Um, let's think back to when President Biden uh, entered office. Um, deaths since then are down 90%. The pandemic, we all know we're here. Look, we're here. Uh, school, schools are open. Um, I'm not the pathetic homeschooler that I once was uh, during the pandemic. Many, Will your many children others ever not, recover no, from never, your teaching never. the math? No. The setback is permanent. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I think what he was saying was that COVID, needless to say, is not the disruptive threat that it was. And it, because we have the tools available, everybody should go and get their variant booster and their flu shot at the same time. Uh, we are in a position uh, to manage this. Our economy has reopened. We are trying to, as USAID, ensure the same thing happens in even the poorest countries in the world. And we have made great headway. Well, let's talk about the, the, the vaccines. Because sure. last time we were talking, there were hundreds of millions of vaccines were going around the world, if not, if not billions. How did that rollout go? Did, did we make an impact around the world? Well, I, I was just meeting not long ago today with the vice president of Tanzania, just as recently as June, Tanzania's vaccination rate was about 15%, not what we're seeking, not so good. Uh, now it is nearly 61%, and they're trending toward the 70%. And that's, that's just one because country. of our health. It's, that's because we invested not only in the shots themselves, we have distributed 600 million vaccines, donated them for free, no strings attached, but we've also invested on the ground the resources to, in the, the health delivery systems. You know, the mobilization campaigns. How do you fight misinformation? Same kind of misinformation that we have here, but it took longer to get vaccines to developing countries, so that misinformation had much longer to take root mm -hmm. without people seeing the benefits of vaccines, which so many of us have been privileged to see. So there's a lot that goes into 
moving from having a shot to getting a shot into the arm, and that's the support that USA and the United States offer to developing countries. You say, uh, you say no strings attached. What about soft strings? Because we've talked about United States soft power, about diplomacy and helping other countries as a form of projecting soft power. What, what does that do for us as a nation? How does that help our security and our position around the world to have done this for these countries? Are, are they going to remember? Well, I think if you just personalize it and think of one's own hours of need and who picked up the phone to call you, who showed up, you know, and made your family food when you were in a time of crisis, countries remember. They, they also remember that these are donated, that we're not asking for, for money back in return. They remember the training of the health workers and they know that that training is, yes, as it happens for a pandemic in the here and now, but we try to do the training in a manner that will also have knock-on effects on primary health care support you know, going forward. We're also making investments. We, we don't want them to have to rely on our vaccines. Mm-hmm. We want Africa to have its own vaccine manufacturing capabilities. So mm-hmm. USAID and other actors in the U.S. government are investing in manufacturing hubs around the world so that that sovereignty around health exists within communities. Well, um, one of the reasons... <laughs> speaking of the world... Sovereign countries helping each other. One of the reasons why you're here t- tonight, we always love having you, is that the UN General Assembly is is in session right now. And as I was mentioning earlier on the show, there was a little bit of traffic, a little bit of traffic out there. <laughs> a lot of critics of the UN say that the General Assembly is essentially meaningless at this point, that nobody listens to the speeches. It's all about the corporate donors and the NGOs. You're an idealist, but a pragmatist at the same time. As a pragmatic idealist, what is the benefit of the General Assembly? Um, not the traffic, and I would just note that I actually got out of my car, my U.S. government delegation car, yep. and took the subway to get to one of my meetings today because I, I, uh, you're, you're, I was stuck to... You're, you're one of the good guys, that's yeah. why. So, uh, but I, I think to your question, look, this is a venue where all the world's heads of state come together, or leaders uh, in some fashion, and it's a chance for the United States to mobilize those leaders to solve really hard problems. And right now, for example, the United States is the world's top humanitarian donor by a long shot. Uh, so when there's a famine or when there's a climate emergency or when there's a conflict, the U.S. shows up and provides hundreds of millions of dollars worth of food, medicine, sanitation support, health support. Well, we want other countries to be contributing more. The United Nations General Assembly is a really good place to say, we've done this, what have you done? And even to compare, there's a famine now uh, in the Horn of Africa, in Ethiopia, Somalia, and Kenya. There was something akin to what's happening now uh, five or six years ago. Countries gave much more then than they have so far today. To use that venue to actually just compare and contrast and say, well, you gave several hundred million dollars in food the last time. Please, can you show up for these very vulnerable people at this time? So that's one example. It's also a chance uh, to uh, share innovation. Uh, The United States is devising drought-resistant and heat-resistant seeds. You know, this is a chance to let heads of state in developing countries know that these seeds exist and be in a position to launch partnerships so that USAID can move out and make sure those seeds actually get to small farmers Mm -hmm. at a time when climate change, of course, is wreaking havoc on agriculture all over the world. So so there's a lot to be done. Again, it's mainly mobilization of coalitions around the toughest problems And we're very interested in many of these problems because they also are going to affect the United States. If we can't curb emissions in big emitting countries and get people to, to, you know, move to solar and to wind, like President Biden now has been able to make this substantial investment domestically, 
uh, that's going to mean you know, more climate emergencies here in the United States as well. If we can't build the pandemic surveillance architecture so people can see viruses before they become pandemics, then we could get stuck with another pandemic uh, that harms Americans as well. So our fates are connected, and the UN is both a symbol of that, but it's also the place you actually get the connective tissue to come together to, to tackle these challenges. Well, let's talk about a challenge that's facing the world right now. Let's talk about one of the challenges facing the world right now. My understanding is that one of the, the greatest challenges that USAID is, is, is hoping to help mitigate is that is the food shortage around the world. And that uh, crop yields are down partially because of uh, global warming, but also the war in Ukraine, which provides 25% of the world's wheat. Is this Putin's fault, this food shortage, because he's blaming the West? He's blaming us. Yeah. And how, how hard is, is, is the U.N. a place where you can fight that misinformation? Yeah, I traveled this summer uh, to two of the worst affected uh, countries of the food crisis, Kenya and Somalia, um, where basically we're on the brink of famine in, in, in parts of both of those countries. And I, I brought support for f- fertilizer on behalf of the American people. I brought additional support for some of these seeds so that farmers can can plant uh, in the seasons ahead. Uh, and of course, I brought emergency humanitarian assistance. Foreign Minister Lavrov came a few days after I did to the same countries, and he brought misinformation and lies, uh, which don't feed anybody. And so the one thing I would say is there's a lot of noise out there, and the Russian Federation is you know, tr- trying to turn that noise up on, on very high decibel. My experience in traveling to these countries that are very vulnerable right now is they know the difference. They, they, they know that President Putin for a very long time blocked the Ukraine that was in Ukrainian ports, ready to reach countries like Somalia, Kenya, places like Lebanon, Syria, Yemen. He just blocked it. Finally, uh, there was a breakthrough and that some of those grains are now moving, but prices had already spiked uh, because of the, the food shortage that, that that contributed to. I will say the underlying conditions are chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. Climate change is a chronic condition. The Horn of Africa is experiencing its fourth straight failed rainy season. That's never happened before in recorded history. I was just in Pakistan a couple weeks ago. Stephen, it was honestly, <laughs> I felt like I was in the apocalypse. I was flying you know, inland about 200 miles from you know, the nearest ocean. And I was looking down, I was like, wait, that's ocean. And then, no, actually a third of the country is underwater because of melting glaciers combined with monsoon rains that are five times as intense as they've ever had before. And what you see when you can see like little sort of tops, rooftops sometimes poking out or, you know, 12 meter high trees that are where you see just the rim of the tree. I mean, that's how much water there is on the ground. But you also see the croplands that have just been ravaged by these floods. So you either have too much water or too little water everywhere you look. And part of what we want to do as USAID and on behalf of the American people, and there's bipartisan support for this right now, which is wonderful, is not only you know, feed people who've just lost their cropland because of flooding or because of drought, but actually give them the resilience to not be in a position where they're, they, they're taking humanitarian assistance. Nobody wants emergency humanitarian assistance. They want to be able to plant their seeds, take their harvest, and deal and, and, and relocate in some cases uh, so as to be in places that are more hospitable given the changing climate. What, what is this job like? <laughs> it's, uh, all these different places yeah. you're naming, do you know where you are when you wake up in the morning? Um, 
the trips are great because you get close and you feel the human consequences of the challenges that we we're all reading about, you know, back here and that many Americans are experiencing in different ways. Um, you see the resilience, the, the, the sturdiness that, that hunger people have to get back to work and not be, you know, receiving assistance. They all want trade, not aid. I mean, honestly, Stephen, I, the way I view this job is I was in the Obama administration so fortunate for eight years. It was my first time in public service. Then I had to live the next four years out of government. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, powerful as tweets are, it didn't have quite the same, you know, mm-hmm. impact potentially. And so I feel so lucky to be in the room where it happens, in, in a position to look at America's toolkit and to be thinking, okay, this is really hard. This is harder than maybe anything I've ever seen before. But we've got the best scientists in this country. We've got bipartisan support right now for food security response. We have the generosity that translates into support for Ukrainians that is, you know, transcendent. I mean, what it means to the people of Ukraine in their hour of need being bombarded and to see again and again Americans stepping up, not only with military support, but helping businesses relocate, uh, helping survivors of sexual violence, helping document war crimes. I mean, the United States is in it for the long haul and is in it in a way that you could, again, if you put yourself in their shoes, what would you wish the United States' response to be? I just feel really lucky to be a part of trying to figure out what that is since, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. You know, we're really fortunate to be in this position rather than to be living next to Putin. Well, I, w- I want to talk about... I know we got to go here. In just one, i got to go here just one second. I'm getting the high sign over here. But speaking of the eight years you spent in the Obama administration... One of the other people, of course, in that administration was, at the time, Vice President Joe Biden. Um, now he's your boss. What was he like as... It's a bit of a strong word, but what was he like as a co-worker, let's say? I'll, I'll mention to him that that was... that. Yeah, he was my, my, my co-worker as the vice president. <laughs> but um, he was... Joe Biden is exactly behind the scenes what Joe Biden is, you know, out in, in grand display... And so we'd be in meetings, and I'd be saying something maybe that might be landing like a lead balloon in the center of the meeting. With uh, the, a little, the president with, the, the with the then president, President Obama, um, sparring a little bit, maybe a little, you know, again, counter to what others might, might want to be doing at the time. And I'd just kind of be deflated and feel <laughs> unjoined. And next thing, somebody would pass me a note from many seats down, because the vice president was right next to the president, and it would be a note from Joe Biden saying... That's exactly why you're here. You know, never be quiet. Uh, there was another note. Go Irish. Uh, <laughs> you know? So, that's... Yeah. That's Joe. Yeah. Samantha, lovely to see you. Great Thank you for you being speak. here. Coming up, U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Enjoying this episode of The Late Show Pod Show? Then head to cohst.app slash late show or visit the link in the description to fill out our quick two-minute survey all about getting to know you.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is a diplomat who has spent 40 years working in the government. She now serves as the United States Ambassador to the United Nations. Please welcome Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Nice to see you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Friday was the one-year anniversary of uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine. You were in the security... Council and the Security Council meeting when that invasion actually happened. Looking back over the last year, are you surprised where we are or where things are in Ukraine, given how uh, perilous the situation looked in those first weeks? Well, I I have to tell you that day was surreal. Uh, We called an emergency meeting of the council Mm -hmm. so that we could warn the world that Russia was planning to invade Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And they did it while we were sitting in the council. And so I think even the Russians who were, they were president of the council. So their ambassador was sitting in the chair. Mm -hmm. And as we all looked at our phones and heard uh, that this was happening. And at the time, Russia said, this is just going to be a two-week operation. We'll finish it off. And here we are one year later. And they were so... Mis, uh, they were so misguided, they were so mistaken, because one year later, Ukraine still stands. And President Biden was there at the one-year mark congratulating President Zelensky for the fortitude that the Ukrainians have shown and showed the Ukrainians that the world still stands united with Ukraine. What, what's it like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's it like to be in the room with the Russian ambassador then or now? Do you ever go over and say, come on, what are you guys thinking? Do you ever, do you ever get to shoot straight with these guys? Uh, occasionally we have the opportunity to shoot straight. But things have changed since uh, the invasion uh, of Ukraine. Uh, we have to work together. We sit around the table with each other every day, 15 countries, the five permanent members and 10 elected members. Mm-hmm. And we have to engage on any number of issues. Uh, we engage on issues where we actually agree. We agreed on, on sanctions against Haitian gangs. Uh, we agreed on continuing to keep the border open uh, into Syria uh, a year ago so that humanitarian assistance could continue to go in to people at need, in need. But after the Ukrainian war, 
Russia really, uh, really disrespected the, the council and everything we stand for because they sit as permanent members of the council and they attack their neighbor. They brought this unprovoked war on the Ukrainian people. They're committing war crimes. They're committing crimes against humanity. They are committing human rights violations right in front of our eyes, and they're a permanent member of the council. Meaning so that it's they have changed. a veto. They have veto they power. They have veto power. And it is for that reason that we take our actions to the General Assembly, where their veto power doesn't, uh, doesn't work. And we have condemned them roundly on Friday... We put forward a resolution, a peace resolution, and 40, 141 countries voted for that resolution. So let's talk about China for just a moment, because there, it's been reported that China is considering sending uh, uh, weaponry and aid to Russia. And uh, Antony Blinken and Jake Sullivan have said, yeah, you, that's bad. You can't do that. Why would it be particularly bad for China to do that beyond prolonging the war? Well, first, it will prolong the war. But second, it means China will align itself with Russia's actions in Ukraine. China would align itself with committing human rights violations against the Ukrainian people, carrying out a bloody war uh, that uh, has really destroyed infrastructure in Ukraine. Uh, this is about supporting the UN Charter. And if China aligns itself with Russia, then it becomes part of that problem. So we've not seen any evidence yet that they have made a decision to, uh, to provide lethal weapons. Uh, but they understand very clearly if they do provide le- lethal weapons that they are... Uh, supporting uh, Russia in its efforts to destroy a sovereign country. Now, obviously, things can get tense in any diplomatic situation as part of your job as an ambassador to try to de-escalate in many ways. That's the, that's the goal. Diplomacy is the Department of Peace. How I understand you've got a very interesting form of diplomacy that you use to try to win people over, not only for yourself, but for the states. <laughs> I assume you're talking about gumbo diplomacy. You're, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know exactly what that meant. That's why yes. I was letting you. What uh, is gumbo diplomacy? It's uh, anybody in the audience from Louisiana? <laughs> so gumbo diplomacy is about making gumbo, which is an extraordinary dish, uh, and having conversations with people over a great meal. And I cook it myself. Mm. Uh, I shared my recipe that I made up on the spot uh, with the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. I've never used the recipe myself. (laughs) And did you give them the real recipe or just what people who aren't from Louisiana are allowed to have? Because I went down, when John Baptiste, I went down to cook with his mom, and he said to me afterwards, that's not the recipe she gave me. People who cook uh, gumbo, we don't use a recipe. You just cook. Mm-hmm. And so I cook, and I actually tried to reconstruct what I do in that recipe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in Ghana a few months ago, and the ambassador there had her chef use the recipe, and the gumbo was really good. So now I have to, <laughs> I have to try the recipe. Uh, it was better than anything I've ever made before. <laughs> How did you... After 40 40 years of working in diplomacy, I'm sure it can be disheartening at 
sometimes when you see the state of the world, what are the moments that sustain you through uh, moments of doubt, let's say? You know, it's rare that I have moments of doubt because I know what we're doing is important. Uh, but one of the moments I had that really brought to the forefront what, why what I do is so important, some years ago I met a young Sudanese uh, a man, a South Sudanese man on the streets in Arlington, Virginia. And he said, hey, Linda, you helped me get refugee status to the United States. And I realized at that moment that something I did had changed somebody's life. And so I approach my work every single day that I'm doing something that is going to change somebody's life. I may never meet the person. I may never hear what I've done, but I know in my heart that I'm doing something that is going to make a difference to people. And for that reason, I can get up every day and deal with the crap and fight uh, the, the good battle. Ambassador, thank you for being here. Thank you. to see you again. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. John Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition wherever you get your podcast.